Welcome, and thank you for listening to Real Talk with Brittany, where I'm on a mission to empower other women through raw conversation. Topics will range from surviving sexual assault to body positivity to learning to love yourself. My goal is to guide and inspire women of all ages. All right, so today's topic is actually the reason that I wanted to start podcasting in the first place, sexual assault. It's a topic that a lot of people don't want to talk about because it's it's hard to talk about. It's scary. A lot of people have been through it, though, myself included, and today I'm going to tell you my story. It was December 21st, 2008, but before I get into the actual story, I'm going to take you back a little bit to earlier in 2008. I was 19 years old, and of course, like many other 19-year-olds, I was going to clubs, going to parties, drinking a ton. I was in college. I was having fun. I lived on my own. I had a roommate. So I was just living the dream of every 19-year-old girl. And one day, my roommate came up to me and was like, hey, so there's this company in Detroit that is hiring for photographers to go around to events and clubs and take pictures. You should apply. And I was like, yeah, absolutely, because at this point, we were going to the club four or five, sometimes six nights a week, so I was already there. This would have been perfect for me, so I immediately got onto the computer, applied for the job. Guy messaged me right away and was like, hey, all right, yeah, your resume looks good. Let's meet up at Starbucks, get coffee, we can talk about everything and see if you're a good fit. I was like, all right, sweet. So we met down on Hall Road. All my Michiganders will know where that is, and... Immediately basically got hired and he was like, all right, yeah, cool. So um, go ahead and get out there and start doing things. So uh, a couple days later, he messages me and is like, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to shoot this event, this uh, fashion show, and then I'm going to a club after to do photos there. You should tag along, kind of get to know how we do things. And of course, I'm like, yeah, okay, that sounds great. So Saturday night rolls around and I have one of my girlfriends over before and we hung out a lot. Her and I were super, super close. She was away at college most of the time at this point, but we, every time she came home, we were together. And before I left, I just had this weird feeling. And I know like a lot of people get that where they just get that gut feeling about something bad. And I totally had that. So what I did was I told her, I said, you know what? If I don't call you by like 2 a.m., call me just to make sure, just to make sure I got to work because I had another night job that I worked at. So I needed to get there by 2, 2, 2.30. That's my typical time I got there. And she's like, yeah, absolutely. So I meet this guy at his house <clears throat> and we hop in his car and we go to the fashion show. It's a, this little fashion show in Royal Oak. I can't even, probably not allowed to tell you the name of the place we were at because I don't know, you know, the rules on that. But We get there, and everybody there is super chill. There's a lot of different types of people there, people there to watch the show, people there to take pictures. There's a woman from the newspaper there. So it was all pretty cool. I got to meet a bunch of new people. And so we go up to the bar, and we get drinks. Mind you, yes, I was 19 years old. I was not old enough to drink, but they never even asked. So I was like, cool, I'm getting a drink. So I got a drink. And then we were mingling more with more people. Then we went back up and got another drink, mingling more with more people. And then the fashion show began. So I start taking pictures. I'm super excited because I've never done this before. And it's just different for me because I was in college. so I wasn't doing anything like this. I was doing personal projects. I wasn't doing anything like this at all. So 
the guy that I came with runs up and grabs us a third drink and comes back with it and we drink our drinks. And by the end of the fashion show, I'm just not feeling like me. And at this point in my life, three drinks was not enough to get me drunk. Um, Maybe that's not the best thing to admit, but when you're 19, you're out there partying all the time. I could easily drink six, seven, maybe even eight drinks and still be sober enough to know everything that was going on. So, but I didn't think anything of it. And then we get in his car and I don't remember the car ride there, but we drove to this club in Detroit. And when we got there, same thing. It was a 21 and up club. They did not card me. We had cameras. They just let us right in. So we go in, and the first thing we do is we sit down at the bar because he knows the bartenders. And I'm like, okay, whatever, you know. So I meet them, and it was some guy and his girlfriend that they they work together. So we get another drink, and I don't remember photographing people at the club. And I know that's what we were there to do, but I was, like, really out of it. I Everything was very fuzzy and, like confusing and I didn't even know really what was going on. I remember getting up, there was like some box thing and I remember dancing, so embarrassing, I remember dancing on this box and that's like the last thing that I remember. The next thing I know, I am waking up at seven in the morning to him on top of me having sex with me and at first, uh, I had no vision. I literally couldn't see. It was like I was looking through like this white mist, and I could feel everything that was happening. I knew what was happening, and then I start crying, and then I realize what's happening, and he whispers something in my ear that, to this day, still disturbs me, and uh, I'm not repeating because it just really grossed me out, and then when he realized I was crying, he stops, and like acts like nothing just happened. And then I start panicking about the fact that I missed work and this and that. And I convince him to take me home. Cause I ask him, I'm like, where's my purse? Where are my keys? I need to get home. And he's like, oh, well you left them at the club. I was like, I left them where? Why? why? Okay, whatever. Can you just take me home? I need to get home. I was supposed to be at work, blah, blah, blah. So I convince him to take me home. He stops and I think he tries to buy us McDonald's and I'm not having it, but I'm calm. I'm, I'm, I'm very calm because I realize the severity of my situation and I realize that if I panic, this could be it for me. So we get to my house, I get out of the car and there's my sister just so distraught and half my family had been looking for me because I didn't go to work and they knew that and I worked with my mom and my mom was panicking and freaking out and they all thought that I was kidnapped and they were never going to see me again. It was terrifying for them, I'm sure, as much as it was terrifying for me. So I go up to my sister, and I give her a hug, and I just, I don't even hold back. I just tell her exactly what happened. Not all of it, but I I just say, like, he raped me. And immediately she takes me to my mom's, and I didn't want to go there. I just wanted to crawl in bed and just die because at this point I'm just miserable. And I'm like, how could this happen to me? Like me, I this isn't supposed to happen to me. This, is, this happens to people who, other people, not, not me. So we get to my mom's, and they force me to go to the hospital. I don't want to go. I'm not happy about it. I'm, in fact, I'm, I, I'm just a miserable mess. So they convince me to go. We get there, and they try to do a sample to see if they can find any drugs in my system. 
because they're fairly certain that I was roofied. And I'm 100% sure that I was roofied. And they told me, they said, you know, because you were blacked out for so long and you didn't get here till now, it's out of your system. There's no way that we can trace that. And most, most roofies and drugs like that do leave your system fairly quickly. So I'm like, okay. And then they called the police and they raided his house. <clears throat> and I wasn't happy about that because at this point I wasn't thinking about, oh, well, you can press charges. Like that, that thought never crossed my mind. My thought was he's going to get mad and he's going to hurt me again. That's all I could think. I couldn't think of anything else. I didn't have clarity in my thoughts. And after that, they sent me to a rape clinic, which I didn't realize was a thing, but it is. So it's basically like going to your gynecologist, but they do more tests and everything. And it is humiliating, but I I 100% get why they do it. And this woman did her job and she was she did a good job, but it it's still embarrassing. You're butt naked in front of this person who's poking you in the butt to make sure you don't get STDs and giving you a morning after pill and sticking a camera up your hoo-ha to collect samples. Yes, samples being semen to prove. Not, I mean, you can still prove without that, but just to show. And it's humiliating. And I finally leave there, and they send me to a detective. And... I just don't know how to be me at this point. And I'm one of these people that I use like this dark humor to kind of numb myself to like bad things that happen in my life. And I'm just being like my weird normal self at this point. Not normal by any means, but just being very odd. And so I'm talking to the detective and I finally hear, you know, what happened for those seven hours that I was blacked out. So we're at the club, and at about midnight, I am face down on the bar, completely incapacitated, like lights on nobody's home. So he convinces the bouncer or the bartender to carry me out to his car. And then when we get to his place, he carries me in his house and has sex with me for the first time. See, I woke up to the second time. I don't have no memory or recollection at all of him having sex with me for the first time. But this was his thing, talking to the detective, is he liked incapacitated women. That was his turn on, apparently, because I was not the first woman. I was the third woman on record, which means, yes, there could be others. He is a habitual sex offender. He is on the sex offenders, like, registry list. He's not a good person, obviously, he has a bunch of other charges from B&Es to uh, like almost like embezzling money and all these other things and domestic violence. There's just a lot of charges on him. And I'm just shocked at this point. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? Like, the, are you are you serious? And I'm terrified because I'm like, how did I get out of that situation? So I finally get back home. From the detectives that night. It's not even night, probably. It's probably sometime during the day. I don't know. Everything kind of mushed. And I think my roommate was home, and I, I tell her what happened. And I'm just this blob on the couch. And I beg her to go with me to get my stuff back from the club. I'm like, hey, 
my, my phone's there, my purse, my keys. I, I need all this stuff. I, I just, I can't, I don't want to go alone. I'm afraid. And this is where our friendship definitely died because she was like, no, I have plans with my boyfriend and I can't. I'm like, really? Like, I was just, I was just raped and you aren't going to be there for me? Like, I thought we were more than just roommates. I thought that we were friends. I didn't say this to her, but this is what I was thinking. So I had to take my father with me, which love him to death, but that is not who you want to take with you to go get your stuff. So we wait until like right before the club opens. I convinced the bouncer to let me in. I tell him that I left my purse there and this and that. So he lets me in and I somehow meet the owner and get my stuff. And they're like, how did you even get in here? You're not even old enough to be here. I'm like, well, ask your bouncer because they let me in. I don't know. And I'm not talking to you because blah, blah, blah. I was just upset. You know, I didn't want to talk about it. And they saw him with me that night, at least some of them, maybe not the owner per se, but they saw him, but they didn't know, you know, I was completely not me because I had been drugged and I, I don't really remember very much at all from being at their club. So I go home. And for the next week, I don't even want to move from the couch. And the only, like, good thing in my life at this point is the guy that I'm seeing. And not that we were super, super serious. I wish we would have been at that time. I was crazy about him. But he was very good to me. And I remember on New Year's, which wasn't that long after, like a week or so, um, having sex for the first time with him. Not the first time with him, but the first time having sex after being sexually assaulted was very, very liberating. And I felt like I was finally clean because I felt so dirty. Like coming home at that day, I just felt like I was in the shower forever because I just couldn't, I just felt like I couldn't clean myself of that. And it really, really disgusted me and creeped me out. And I just didn't know. I didn't know how to feel, and I feel like this is very common with a lot of people. So fast forward a few years to now. I It's been 10 years now. So for some reason, I had this urge to look him up. I hadn't looked him up in a long time other than on the sex offenders list to make sure he was still there to try to find an address, and I, I haven't been able to find an address for a few years, and I never occurred to me to just look him up flat out, so I did. And I find out that he is now in prison for kidnapping and strangling someone. I'm assuming another woman, um, as his crimes seem to be targeted towards women. And I basically lose my shit because I'm like, that could have been me. What did I do right? What did I do right to avoid him doing that to me? And the only thing that I can think of that I did that prevented that was that I remained calm. I was, for some reason, I had it in my head that if I panicked, I wasn't getting home. I truly believe that too. And it's not something that most people can control. I feel like I'm very lucky that I was able to keep calm. And he's going to end up being in prison until either 2032 or 2053. So I feel pretty good knowing that I don't have to worry about him anymore because even though he hadn't come after me, like in my head, it's just that 
that thought, like that what if, because not long after this happened, my house was robbed. And the only things that they took were my computer. I just said computer weird for some reason. And my film camera and a roll of film. My roommate had money sitting out on my desk, which was near the computer, for our rent. And that was never touched. And the only thing I could think of was that it was him. That he knew those things were important to me. And that's the only thing that I could believe. And I was, I don't know. They never found out who robbed me. But that was my first thought. So not long after this happened, too, um, I was talking to my mom because I needed her. I needed her love. I needed her support. And she told me it was my fault, that I never should have gone, that I shouldn't have been drinking. She blamed me. And when people say, you know, who, you know, why do people blame the victim? Well, they do. They do. And sometimes it's your own family. And that is the most painful. I... I think that's what kind of started to tear my relationship with my mother was her saying that to me. I couldn't even believe she said it. My own, my own mom, like that's the person that you're supposed to be able to turn to for anything. She's supposed to be the one that tells you it's okay, that takes care of you, that says, you know what, we're going to get through this together because that's what families do. So I was very heartbroken when she told me it was my fault. It's never the victim's fault. I could have been naked. And guess what? That doesn't give anybody the right to touch me. I don't get what people don't see about that. It's so, it's so disheartening. And I really hope that if there are other people out there who've gone through what I've gone through or worse, or even less, it doesn't matter. I hope that you have someone that you can talk to. And my first advice that I give to you is if this happens to you, find someone that you trust that you can talk to because no one needs to feel like they are alone. And if you do feel like you're alone, contact me. I'll talk to you. I'll help you. I'll guide you the best I can. I'll do the best I can. I mean, there may not be much that I can do, but I don't want anybody to feel like they are alone in their situation. Because that, that's almost as bad as getting sexually assaulted in the first place, is feeling like you have no one. And I don't want anybody to feel that way. On another note, um, after my talks with the detective, I screwed up my own court case. There was supposed to be like the state versus him. And I panicked and sent him a message because for some reason in my head, I thought he was after me. It's irrational, probably, but it was in my head nonetheless, and I ruined my case. And for many, many years, I have lived with guilt. Guilt because all I could think about was that I didn't help the next girl. And now that I know that he is in prison for what he is in prison for, I do still feel very guilty. And I know people will say, well, it's not your fault, you know, you're human. It's not, but it is, because had I got him put in prison, he was a habitual offender. He would have done some time, maybe not as much time as he's doing now, but habitual offenders typically get about 15 years from what I'm told, and he would have gotten that. 
And I feel bad because maybe he wouldn't have done this to this girl. Maybe he wouldn't have kidnapped and strangled her or whatever, suffocated. It was one of the two. I'm assuming it was strangle, but creepily enough, I don't want to know, I guess. But I want, I want to say I'm sorry. Like, I want to tell this woman, like, I'm sorry that this happened to you. And I'm sorry that I wasn't the one to get him put away so that he couldn't do this to you. Because I truly feel that way. And I shouldn't feel guilty, I know, but I do. And it's something that I deal with. And it's something that I've been working on. It's been a part of my journey to healing. And another thing that I've done in this journey is talk to people. I feel like the more that I talk about what happened to me and share with people who have either been through it or even people who haven't, I feel like I'm bringing awareness and I'm helping other people. And really, at the end of the day, why not take a tragic thing and make it something good? Why not turn this evil thing into something positive? I don't want to just pretend it didn't happen because it did. And I'm at a point where I can openly talk about it and it doesn't make me cry. I don't know if it's because I need therapy and I've buried it deep inside my soul, but either way, I feel like I'm finally there. I'm finally at this point, and I guess I have been for a few years, where I can openly share it. So I am. So I have a little bit of advice for anyone who either has been sexually assaulted or in case it ever happens to you. Um, I know that this is difficult, but going to the police is very important. And I understand we live in a society where, yes, victims do still get blamed, even if they are 100% correct, which it's been proven that like 0.04% of people lie about being sexually assaulted. Okay, that's a very low chance. So, yeah. But I do recommend going to the police. And it will suck, let me tell you. It is like one of the worst things that you'll ever have to do. Going to a rape clinic, that sucks too. But at the end of the day, you will look back and say, you know what, I'm helping the next girl. And that's like, you know, with me and regretting that I didn't help the next girl. I went and I did all those things, but then I screwed everything up. But you want to help the next girl. You don't want this to happen to someone else. And not saying that just because somebody raped you, they'll rape other people, but it is a possibility. I mean, if somebody, if somebody like is willing to have sex with someone who does not want to have sex with them, there's something wrong with them. Like that's just, there are plenty of women out there. Just go to your local bar who will willingly have sex with you. Like, I still don't understand why people find rape a thing. Why is that a thing? Why? I don't get it. But anyways, go. Go talk to the police. Go talk to other people. Get help. Get guidance. It's going to suck. You're not going to want to do it. You might want to bottle it up and not tell anybody ever, but that's not going to help you. You got to do what's going to help your heart, too. You got to set yourself free. And even if that means going to talk to a therapist, if you don't trust anybody in your life and you don't want to talk to anybody that you personally know, that's okay too. Because like I said, I didn't get the family support that I wanted or needed. Um, I did get family support, but there, there was the hurt, hurtful parts, the parts that still upset me and still resonate with me. So right now, I would like to let you know of hotline numbers that you can call if you 
are sexually assaulted and you need to talk to somebody. The first one is RAIN, which is 1-800-656-4673. I'm going to repeat that again. 1-800-656-4673. The second one is the Michigan Sexual Assault Hotline, and that number is 1-855-VOICES-4. 1-855-VOICES-4. I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listened to this episode, and I wanted to let you know that if you have gone through this or are going through this, that you are not alone and that I am here and that many people will be there for you and will step up for you. So again, thank you for going on this journey with me and listening to a very touchy subject, but I hope that it makes you feel good, that there is hope, and that it empowers you and guides you. So thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.